Guys, give a big hand to our worship team. You guys have done an incredible job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> I love hearing all those stories like um, Emily was sharing about what happens in kids' church and, and in youth. We um, sometimes don't know what's happening out there. But we know that God is working. We know Jesus is moving. And, you know, it's not about learning more from the Word of God. It's all about, as we've been talking about, a relationship with a person called Jesus. That is what brings transformation. That is what brings change into people's lives. No amount of praying and no amount of getting together and talking about things or even just studying the Word will do that. What you need to do is have a relationship with that person called Jesus, which is why we are in this series. And I want to welcome all those who are joining us online as well. It's a pleasure to have you join us, and it's a privilege to bring the Word of God and share with you this morning. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, we just give you glory, honor, and praise, because we know that, Father, as we come into your presence, we come into the presence of the Almighty Creator, the one who made heaven and earth, the one who created the universe. And yet that same incredible loving God is the one who created me and everyone here today in his image with a future, a purpose, and a plan for each one that is unique and which is outstanding and for, for your glory. And so, Father, we pray that in this time we spend together, Lord, you will just cause a burning to rise in our hearts as we begin to understand the depth and the height and the width of your love for us, and that that may spur us on to an incredible relationship with Jesus that will transform not only our lives, but the lives of people around us, Father. So we give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You know, over centuries, people and even Christians have had an image of God that is uh, based more on mythology. And we sometimes have this weird concept of who God is. So we've been in the series called Refracted Light. And it's just the idea that sometimes when we are faced with something that is so incredible, like pure white light, it is just impossible to differentiate the components of what that contains, just like it's impossible to understand the, the complexity of who God is. And yet, just as a prism will disperse white light into its component colors, Jesus came that we may have an idea of who this incredible, awesome God we worship is. What is he like? Who is he? And how can we begin to grasp or get our head around what that incredible God is like? Isn't that incredible? And in the series, we are being challenged and inspired to realize that all of Scripture, everything in the Word of God points to Jesus. And Jesus shows us what God the Father is like in every way. And the radical thought that we are trying to, to, to talk about is that God is like God. Jesus. God is like Jesus. But sometimes we just have this warped view of what God is like. And sometimes we think we know things, but really what you think may not be exactly the way you see it. 
this grandma sent an email to her grandchildren or to her son. And, he, and this is what she said in the email. She said, the other day, I went to the local religious bookstore where I saw a honk if you really love Jesus bumper sticker. So I bought it and put it in the, on the back bumper of my car. And I am really glad I did. What an uplifting experience followed. I was stopped at the light of a busy intersection, just lost in thought about the Lord, and didn't notice that the light had changed. The bumper sticker really worked. I found lots of people who love Jesus. Why? The guy behind me started to honk like crazy. He must really love the Lord, because pretty soon he leaned out of his window and yelled, Jesus Christ, as loud as he could. Why, it was like a football game with him shouting, go, Jesus Christ, go. Everyone else started honking too, so I leaned out of my window and waved and smiled to all those loving people. There must have been a guy from Florida back there because I could hear him yelling something about a sunny beach and I saw him waving in a funny way with only his middle finger stuck in the air. I had recently asked my two grandsons what that meant. They kind of squirmed, looked at each other, giggled, and told me that it was the Hawaiian good luck sign. <laughs> so I leaned out of my window and gave him the good luck sign back. <laughs> A couple of people were so caught up in the joy of the moment that they got out of their cars and even started walking towards me. I bet they wanted to pray. But then, just then, I noticed that the light had changed and I stepped on the gas. It's a good thing I did because I was the only car to get across the intersection. I looked back at them standing there, I leaned out of the window, gave them a big smile, and held up the Hawaiian good luck sign as I drove away. <laughs> Praise the Lord for such wonderful folks. <laughs> we sometimes have a different view of things that may not be exactly uh, aligned with reality. Last week, Pastor Dave spoke eloquently of ways we see Joseph in, uh, we see Jesus in the Old Testament. We know that Jesus met people. He spoke, he challenged, he inspired, and even wrestled with men in the Old Testament. Men like Abraham, Moses, Jacob, Joshua, Gideon, even Isaiah actually had meetings one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, the pre-incarnate God. But in all those instances, all we had was a blurry image of what he was like. And then, in vibrant color, Jesus steps out of eternity into the world we live in, in human form, to show us what the God of the universe was truly like. Over and over, we will see in the Gospel of John the writer tries to explain Jesus in terms of the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't appear on the scene of history without historical preparation. God had been at work in Israel for over 2,000 years, and even before that, putting in place a historical backdrop that would make Jesus' life and ministry something we could understand. You know, Pastor Dave spoke about Jesus as the lamb of sacrifice last week. Today, I want to delve a little deeper into that aspect of Jesus. You know, we read in John chapter 1, verse 29 to 31. It says, The next day, 
John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. I think what a statement to use. Why didn't John, because he knew who Jesus was. He is the one of whom John had described, the one who is coming after me is one whom I am unworthy to even untie the sandals on his feet. He knew what Jesus' ministry was going to be. And in fact, he even knew that Jesus, after he had been baptized by John, had been taken into the wilderness to face temptation and being tempted in three vital aspects of, of, his, of his walk with God. Jesus is triumphant. He defeats every single one of those temptations, his back, and then John sees him. Why didn't John just say, behold, look at the one whom Satan has no hold over. Behold, the one who is bringing a new order into things. Yet he chooses this phrase, which is pregnant with meaning. The Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So what would the expression Lamb of God have meant to the first century Jew? You know, like Dave reminded us last week, for centuries Israel has known about the sacrificial lamb. And they learned it first from the story of Abraham and Isaac when God had commanded Abraham to take his son, his only son, take him up to this mountain that I will show you and sacrifice him on that mountain. And as they're walking up the mountain to the sacrifice, Isaac says, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And in presenting Jesus as the lamb of God, John is telling us, Jesus is the fulfillment of what Abraham spoke to Isaac those many centuries ago. Where is the lamb? John tells us, Jesus is that promised lamb. You know, the center of religious life in, in Judaism was, uh, was one that is filled with the massive slaughter of animals. Historically, according to the Torah, the Jewish Old Testament, two lambs were to be sacrificed each day. It was called the continual offering one in the morning and one at twilight, which meant around 730 lambs a year. And symbolically, this was meant to show that the sins of the people were removed from the people and placed on the two animals. And in every instance, the sacrifice meant the death of an innocent substitute in place of the one who had sinned. I would also suggest that as people heard, as the Jews heard this term, the Lamb of God, they also would have thought and remembered the idea of the Passover lamb. As we all know, most of us know, Passover was the annual celebration when the Jews remembered how God had delivered them from bondage and slavery in Egypt. 
And for those of you who are not aware, not clear with that story, in the book of Exodus, in the Old Testament, it tells us in the first 12 chapters about the whole story of how Israel, in the land of Egypt, became subjugated and became bond servants to the, to the Egyptians, and they, they were treated with contempt, and, and a harsh life was imposed on them. And they cried out to the Lord for freedom and deliverance. And God listened and heard their cry, and he sends a man called Moses to deliver them. But Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt at the time, steadfastly refused to let the people go. And so God had to send a number of plagues upon the land to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. And the tenth of all the plagues was the plague where God sends the angel of death to destroy all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. However, the angel of death passed over every Jewish household where the blood of a lamb, a lamb that was without blemish, which had been sacrificed and the blood placed on the doorposts over every household that had that blood, the angel of death passed over. One Bible commentator puts it like this. In every household in Egypt that night, there was either a dead lamb or a dead firstborn. It was only after the 10th plague that Pharaoh finally allows the, the uh, Israelites to leave Egypt. And God commanded the Jews to celebrate that amazing feat, that act of salvation from Egypt. God commands them to celebrate this every year in a festival called the Festival or the Feast of Passover. And in that festival, every Jewish household was to sacrifice a lamb without blemish. That lamb was known as the Passover lamb. Now, after the last Sabbath, before Passover, the, shepherd of, the shepherds of, Beth, of the Bethlehem hills would drive thousands of lambs into Jerusalem. Now, I want you to remember the last days of Jesus as he, you remember when he proceeds into Jerusalem riding on a donkey? We celebrate that as Palm Sunday. So that was the day after the last Sabbath, just before the Passover. And I want you to imagine there are two processions into Jerusalem that day. A procession of, a, of thousands of lambs, unwilling, unblemished lambs being driven into the city to be part of the great Passover feast by the shepherds. At the same time, there is another procession into Jerusalem, a lamb without blemish, the lamb of God who walked or rode on a donkey willingly into Jerusalem. The perfect lamb of God who would proceed to take away the sins of the world. So when Jesus was called the lamb of God, I think John was saying three things about Jesus. The first thing, so we go to the first, this, so did we get the first slide up? My apologies, so can we put the first slide up please? <laughs> I got a bit carried away. There was one before this, I think. There was a picture. Yes, look at that. How adorable and how cute. This is what the lamb looked like. An innocent, adorable, cute lamb that would be sacrificed 
on Passover. But let's go to the next slide, please. Three things John was saying about Christ. The first one was the lamb without blemish. Now, the shepherds of Bethlehem, they shepherded in the very hills that David had shepherded in as well. And so we consider them as almost like descendants of David. And in the western hills of Bethlehem, they looked after those sheep exactly the way David had. But these shepherds had to learn to follow certain special techniques and rituals during lambing season because these shepherds were in charge of bringing the unblemished lambs into Jerusalem for the feasts as well as for other sacrifices. So they had certain ways to look after the lambs that were born. Now remember, during, uh, during the lambing time, they, when, when the lambs are being born, there is always the, the danger that they could injure themselves, and any injury to a lamb would disqualify it from being used in the sacrifice. And so to prevent harm and self-injury, especially when they're born, they're thrashing around on their spindly little legs, you know what the shepherds would do? The newborn lambs were wrapped in swaddling clothes and carefully placed in a manger or a feeding trough until they calmed down out of harm's way. They would then be carefully inspected for any slightest deformity or defect which would result in rejection. It had to be without blemish. The Hebrew word for without blemish meant complete, whole, entire, or sound. So when the shepherds gathered around that stable in Bethlehem the night Jesus was born, they weren't witnessing something they had never seen before. But what they were witnessing was who was in the manger. The most important sacrificial lamb that had ever been born. The lamb who would close down the slaughterhouse of sacrifice. The perfect lamb of God. As the Passover lamb was to be a lamb without blemish, so Jesus was the lamb without blemish. He was a life of spotless purity. He had no sin. He was a man who had no sin of his own to atone for. 1 Peter 21 to 22, 1 Peter 2, 21 to 22 says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, and yet he did not sin. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 20 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Can we go to the third slide, please? The second thing I know is that the lamb offered protection. 
The blood of the lamb protected the Jewish households on the day when the angel of death passed through the land of Egypt. In the same way, Jesus, the Lamb of God, offers us protection from the effects of our sin, which ultimately has led to separation from God or what God would call eternal death. I want to read Romans 3, 23 to 25. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his unrighteousness because his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Romans 5, 6 to 8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The effect and the result of sin is a life of separation. It's a life of, of agony. It's a life that is filled with despair and no hope. And yet, when Jesus, the unblemished lamb, died on the cross and shed his blood, what he was providing was a way for us to come back into relationship with God so that the effects of sin that caused the separation would be broken once and for all. And that, I think, is an incredible thought. That is what we need to remember and thank God for day after day. Can we go to the fourth slide, please? The lamb was sacrificed for guilt. That wasn't his own. As the Passover lamb died in place of the firstborn, so Jesus died in our place for our sins. Sacrifice for guilt that wasn't his own. You know, one of the things that I am sometimes involved with in work is something I find incredibly painful and distressing at the same time filled with so much hope. When we have a young person who has been involved in a major accident and is in ICU, say, on a ventilator for a number of days, and there comes a point in time when there is no hope. We know that there is no signs of recovery. And then tests are done to confirm whether there is any brain activity that would signal maybe there is some chance of recovery. But there comes a point in time when you have done all the tests and you know there just doesn't seem to be any chance of recovery for this person because there is no brain function. That is the point where an offer is made 
to the loved ones to say, there is no hope. But would you consider whether you would be willing to donate organs from your loved one to someone else who will gain a new life because of the sacrifice that is made. And it can be an incredibly painful discussion to have with the loved ones because they know what you're saying and they know what that means. But so often after the initial sorrow and the grief of having to come to terms with what the discussion entails, most of the time, most of the time, they will come to the decision that says, yes, I am willing. And it's been a privilege to be involved in some of those cases because you know that out of the senseless grief and pain of what the family is going through, on the other side, there are families who are going, whose lives are going to change as a result of the decision that is made that day. But you know that as you are wheeling their loved one into the operating theater, this is not a surgery that they're going to come out from alive, but they will leave knowing that those organs have been taken and it's basically one who has, not, who has now passed that is going to come out of that operating theater. We will still treat them with utmost respect and dignity. We will treat them exactly as though they will feel pain, so they're given a full anesthetic and they are treated with the utmost respect. But it's a sacrifice that is made, which at the other end creates incredible opportunity and life for those who will receive those organs. We had uh, one of our close friends who was part of this church for many years. His name was Yehayas, a, a scientist who worked in CSIRO, who developed liver failure because of a botched uh, needle that was not sterilized and, and caused him to develop uh, hepatitis B when he was back home in Ethiopia. And his liver essentially reached a point where it failed completely. This is a man with so much potential, a brilliant mind with two young children. And by the grace of God, received a liver transplant. And his life changed completely from being one who was bedridden and, and unable to function, unable to work. He then became a man who, um, who went back to work, continues to do amazing research, continues, has had a child after that. And, and life, he's been given a second life. Isn't that incredible? But that's what can happen through sacrifice, and that's what happens through, in a sense, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God from a point of despair, from a point of pain, loneliness, grief. Because of that sacrifice, we are given the opportunity of a new life, a life that is filled with vitality, a life that is filled with strength, a life that is filled with hope and purpose. That is what can happen as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus. For the wages of sin, the Bible tells us, is death. 
but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. Isaiah 53.7, the Old Testament, this was prophesied more than 700 years before this occurred. It says, he was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover lamb had to be slaughtered annually, whereas Jesus, the Lamb of God, would die once and for all to deal with not just the sins of the Jewish people, but as John rightly prophesied, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The world. <laughs> it's interesting that this imagery of the Passover lamb and Jesus being the lamb becomes so prominent when we consider that Jesus died at Passover. The lamb of God was killed only once so that no further sacrifice was needed. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1.7 You know what? Just as we begin to get our heads around this fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God, in the book of John, there are seven statements that Jesus makes. They are called the I Am statements. Hmm? Can we go to the fifth slide? The Lamb of God declares, I am the gate or the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. <laughs> I would like to read that part, of, that part of Scripture. It's from John 10, verse 7. It's a longish passage, but stay with me. It says, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate or the door in some translations. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He then goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. And the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. 
This command I received from my father. I am the gate or the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The Lamb of God came into human existence, walked among the sheep as one of them, sacrificed himself for them. But he also says, you know, like in the ancient times when the shepherds would, at the end of the day, having taken the sheep to different pastures, come back to a place of safety, it would usually be a stone enclosure with no door, and the sheep would be placed in that enclosure. And where the door is meant to be, the shepherd would lie down, and he would form the, the protection from, from any predators that would come into the sheep pen. So not only was Jesus saying that I am the door and I will be there to protect, but he was also saying that I am the gate through which the sheep come into this place of safety. Through me, the sheep will come to a place of safety where I will look after them. But I am also the good shepherd, he says. Unlike the hired hand who runs away when the wolf comes, Jesus says, I will lay down my life for my sheep. This is a prophetic utterance about his sacrificial death to save not only the Jews and Gentiles, but, but everyone who would believe in his name. Jesus' love for us is a sacrificial love and one that we cannot even begin to understand the height, width, and depth of. But this, my brothers and sisters, is the heart of our Father God. This is what Jesus tries to show and demonstrate to us. This is what my Father God is like. Look at me and you see the Father. The fullness of the Father rests in the Son. The Lamb who gave himself willingly suffered abuse and torture, the Lamb of God who went through all that pain and agony by the very people who he had created, the one who became a curse for us because it said anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. He became that curse for you and me. And despite all that pain and all the stuff that he went through, the torture, the agony of everything, why did he do that? He did that for you and for me. But now, despite all the pain and shame and everything that he went through, we know where the Lamb of God is now. He is now lifted to the place of highest honor. I want to I come to end this by talking about a victory that has been won for us. When we look at the book of Revelation, also written by John, in the latter years of his life as he's exiled on the Isle of Patmos, he sees this incredible vision where he's taken into the throne room of God. Do you remember that? What a vision it was. But I need to read this to you. He's standing in the throne room and the scroll is, is in the hand of God and there is no one there to, who is here there to open the scroll and read it. And it says, I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. 
Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Will you stand with me this morning? Shall we close our eyes in God's presence? There is no race, no nationality, no ethnicity, no socioeconomic status that is excluded from the kingdom of God. Because it says, to as many as receive him who believe on his name, their sins are taken away and the wrath of God is removed and they are made the children of God and given eternal life. Jesus our Lamb and our Lord. You know, everyone in this room here today is a sinner deserving of God's wrath. There is only one way to have your sins taken away and find favor with God. Not by working for God, not by trying to clean up your life first. That will come later. That's fruit, not root. The one way is believing in Jesus as the glorious Lamb of God. Jesus said in John 8:24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Therefore, believe in Jesus as your lamb and your Lord, and you will say with the apostles, the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, in a room like this, I know that there are people maybe who have never actually prayed that prayer and said, yes, I believe Jesus is the Lamb who died on the cross for me. His blood was shed for my sin so that I might come into relationship with God. If you are in this room today and you have never prayed that prayer, 
my brother and my sister, today is the day to pray that prayer and to come back into relationship with God. Come into relationship with God. Or maybe you prayed that prayer a long time ago and the cares of life, things that have happened, stuff that has happened to you has just led you away on a path that has been very different to what you intended to follow. But today, I know, I know the Spirit of God is, is, is moving in your heart. You can sense a stirring in you today, my brother and sister. You can sense that there is a stirring that says, enough running, come back. It is time to come back into the presence of God. Come back into relationship with a Father who loves you with a love that is without measure. If you are here in this room today and you have never prayed that prayer or prayed it a long time ago, and you want to pray that prayer again today, will you just raise your hand and just look at me and I will know who I'm praying for? Just lift your hand up high. I'm looking across the room. Yes, I see you, my sister, back there. Thank you. Anyone else in the room who's going to pray that prayer today, just lift your hand and put it down and I will know who I'm praying for. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. I see you. Thank you. And for those of us who have walked with the Lord for many years, I pray that you are stirred in your hearts as you recognize the calling you have upon your life, which was bought not with any metal that was precious, but with the most precious commodity of all, the precious blood of Jesus, the Son of God. And so let us live lives that are worthy of that calling he has called us to. Maybe that is causing you to say, maybe there are things that need to change in my life right now. Ways I'm living. Things I'm doing now that I know are not what God would want for me. Knowing that I was bought with such a precious gift, I can no longer live the way I live now. My Father in heaven, I praise you and I thank you, dear Jesus, that you are the Lamb and our Lord. I praise you and I thank you for those who have put up their hands today saying, I want to make that decision. I want to pray and cause you, Jesus, the Lamb of God whose blood was shed on the cross to come and live in my heart. I believe that you, the Lamb of God, died in my place for my sin, taking away the curse and the shame over my life. I believe and I accept it in my life. And Father, I pray that we will not leave this place the same way, but we may leave under the um, complete understanding that our lives need to be different. Our lives need to be lived in a way that glorifies you, the Father in heaven, and our Jesus Christ, his Son, who gave up everything that we may have life. So, Father, I commit every single person under, the, under my voice this morning. I bless them in your name. I pray for those who are watching online right now that you are moving in their hearts too. And there are people who have prayed and people who have made commitments and decisions this morning because they have understood the preciousness of the blood that was shed for them, Lord. Father, we give you glory, honor, and praise, Father. Almighty God, King of heaven and earth, we give you glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.